Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 47. Here now God's holy and inspired word. Genesis 47. I'm going to be preaching on 7 through 10, but let me include verse 6 now, just for a bit of context. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. We trust that it is uh, without error, that it is true, it is preserved, it is for your glory, for our edification. Please guide me in instructing your people from it today, and uh, please have me tremble, not at man, but uh, before you, and give open ears to receive your instruction this morning, that they may be words of life, and we would live by them. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, what I want to focus on this morning, well, within this short text, is mainly Jacob's answer to Pharaoh's question. Uh, I pray that it will be instructive for us, because I see it as a very healthy and helpful example of Peter's admonition, uh, recorded in chapter 3 of his first epistle, to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. Certainly is instructive for us and the way we are to relate to unbelievers, in the specific case here, unbelieving rulers, those who have power over us and from whom we need mercy and favor, as was the case for Jacob. But overarching all this situation, so I want to step back very briefly at the beginning here, remember the human sin that led to this encounter and God's sovereign purpose for good that ordained it. And just a brief list of some of those sins. Jacob's polygamy and lack of good family governance that led to, well, a bit of a family complicated situation. Uh, Joseph's brothers were sinfully envious. Uh, perhaps Joseph's pride and lack of tact further embittered them toward him. Uh, the brothers acted with murder in their hearts in selling him to Egypt. Uh, Potiphar's wife's lust and his anger, which led to an unjust imprisonment for Joseph. Uh, his fellow prisoner's forgetfulness that led to his extended imprisonment, his delayed release. But alas, Joseph later, and it's just a page or two over from where we are at in the text now in chapter 50, where Joseph says, men meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to save many people alive. So Joseph knew that this Egypt sojourn was a life-saving mission, a bit of inconvenience to him, a whole lot of discomfort relative to what we endure, but it was for good. It was a life-saving mission. So friends, we need to live our lives with that perspective, that we are engaged in a life-saving mission. And to some degree here, what I want to draw out for us, we see in Jacob's answer to Pharaoh, his giving witness to the hope that is within him and his engaging in this life-saving mission. So the key point is, the people of God are the ones who are to be a blessing to the world. And we do this. And so here's the two points, if they're written on your sheet for you. First, in our walk, and second, in our words. 
as I said, his answer to the question being his words is going to be the bulk of our time today. So briefly, the first point, we are to be a blessing by our walk. And we see this in verses 7 and 10. Let me read those again. Then Joseph brought in his father, Jacob, and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? And then the end of the encounter here, verse 10. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. So it's Jacob that's going out. So to say blessing by our walk, what do I mean by that? I refer to all of the things that we do other than what we say. So simplistically, I'm dividing up our life into two aspects of Christian living, things we say and the things we do. Things we do, our actions, is our walk. In our text, we simply have Jacob being brought in by Joseph and then leaving. What's to draw from that? (laughs) A few, uh, I think, important things to notice here. Without ever saying a word, at least as far as we know in the text here, uh, likely because of his manner and his appearance, an impression had been made, and Pharaoh's interest was piqued. Uh, Thus he asked the question, and it's helpful to have people ask questions. It gives you an opportunity to answer them, right? Pharaoh's question, how old are you, didn't, I don't think, come out of nowhere. Uh, Something in Jacob's walk, so again his actions, his manner of carrying himself about, his life, something in his walk triggered this question. Uh, Maybe he'd heard about it, maybe he, Pharaoh, had heard about uh, his age from his servants. They thought, whoa, Joseph's old man is old. It really stood out, and so word spread to Pharaoh. Uh, Maybe it was the proverbial long white beard in contrast to the shaved heads of the Egyptians. And we learn in chapter 41 that was the custom of the Egyptians to shave their heads. And so that visual contrast provided the opportunity for Pharaoh to express his curiosity. But whatever it was, Pharaoh was moved by what he saw in Jacob to ask this question. Also notice the interaction, and by that I mean the sort of mingling, of the active and the passive. Uh, It comes to mind for me the proverb, a man plots his course, but the Lord determines his steps. That's quoting from the NIV, and I share with Gary, having quoted those scriptures years ago from the NIV. And uh, I think it's almost more smoothly worded there than the New King James. But at any rate, uh, Jacob is active in his life. He makes plans, but it's the Lord who determines his steps. Uh, Jacob, rise up. He lies down. He's leading his home. Here in verse 7, he's coming. He's walking into a room, right? Uh, He is blessing Pharaoh. And verse 10, he moved out of the room. He went on to go about his business. But, and, not in contrast to, but along with, we see God acting. So whether Jacob was the initiator or the one being acted upon, Jacob had the opportunity to be a blessing by his walk. I don't doubt that you can see the practical applications, uh, implications for this in our lives. So much of our lives is that constant, and it's so constant, I think we're not really thinking about it, so it's that constant interaction of acting and reacting. Uh, We plan this, that happens, uh, we respond, we adjust course, we influence others, they influence us, circumstances constrain us, opportunities arise, we make changes, adjustments, and on and on and on. As Christians, who we certainly need to be more than practical deists, we have confidence that a good and a gracious God is actively involved in working all of it for his glory and for our good. Our perfect little plans get altered frequently. They aren't so perfect, right? We realize that. He is sovereign and we are not. Yet, 
We don't kick up our feet on the proverbial front porch and just watch life go by, thinking, well, if God's in charge, he'll work it out. I don't need to do anything. No, that's not how it goes about. We act, we engage, we trust the results uh, by him superintending all of his creation. And much of our action to engage with the world is, and this is really the point I want to make in the first uh, section here, is unspoken. Oftentimes, and I've seen this in my life, and I'm sure you have too, oftentimes, before we ever say a word of gospel testimony to our neighbors, they've already seen us and observed us, made some conclusions, maybe false conclusions, maybe accurate ones, uh, but they've already formed some assessment. It needs to be that what they see is consistent with the words we want them to come to hear, right? We want to have that opportunity to speak to them. Hopefully our actions don't eliminate any possibility for that to happen. It needs to be that what they see is consistent with the words we want them to hear. At the very least, it's good that our actions pique their interest, like I think happened here with Jacob and Pharaoh. A brief story, hopefully I can convey it to you accurately. Uh, Yesterday, my wife ran some errands with our littler children, and when she got home from, it was the Salvation Army, one of those stops, uh, she shared part of the story. It's always an adventure when you take a bunch of little ones out, right? Uh, But you have to recognize that we live on the edge of kind of a black neighborhood here in town, and uh, a store clerk was a black lady. And with that unique, I'll call it an accent, uh, she said to Audrey, wow, you got you a lot of blonde hair, blue-eyed little ones. And you you just shake your head at the wording there, and that led to an, on, an opportunity to say, yes, I do got me you know, a bunch of blonde hair, blue-eyed little ones, and God is good to give me these blessings of children. And without his grace, I don't have the opportunity or the ability to raise them to be servants of God, you know, on and on. And so with practice, with preparation, with the Holy Spirit speaking through you, you can answer and uh, make use of people noticing those differences. So we are different. We want to be different, not in an offensive way, uh, but in a healthy Christian way, so that they notice us. And those noticed differences lead to questions, creating opportunities for more significant things to be shared. With a smile, of course, because yes, we do got us some beautiful children. Section two here, uh, where we'll spend the bulk of our time, uh, verses eight and nine. We come to the words exchanged between Pharaoh and Jacob. Let me read them again. So Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. Four things, four uh, sort of key terms, I'll call it, in these verses that I want to uh, expand upon. Uh, Pilgrimage, uh, few, evil, and not attained. I believe these are the things that the Holy Spirit moved Moses to communicate in this unique dialogue between patriarch Jacob and the king of Egypt. Uh, it is entirely possible that this is the sum and entirety of the words exchanged between these two men. It's also likely that they said a little bit more. Uh, but for whatever reason, uh, this is what God wanted record, recorded for eternity. And so it's what we can spend a special attention on. So pilgrimage, few, evil, and not attained. First, uh, that word pilgrimage, scripture that came to my mind in reflecting upon this was from uh, Hebrews 11:13. I'll quote that for us. These all, and the author there referring to Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob, he says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, 
embraced them and confessed, what did they confess? That they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Jacob here regards his whole life as a pilgrimage. It's not just this little trip I just started recently down to Egypt from the promised land. He says his whole life, all of, all the days of all the years of his 130 years were a pilgrimage. His time in Ur, his time in Canaan, uh, then in Egypt at the time of this uh, speaking here was all a sojourning on the earth, to use the reference from Hebrews. Not to the degree that he was of no earthly good, right? He wasn't just so thinking about the eternal future that he did nothing to engage or act in the present. Uh, he heeded Scripture's injunction to number his days. That's the wording from Psalm 90. And by the wisdom therein, he put it into perspective, knowing how to reflect on the length of life and what he wanted to achieve in however long a life he might have. Uh, the fact is, we diminish our witness when we are overly concerned about carnal present matters. Uh, remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6 of Matthew. Don't be like the ones who worry about food and drink and clothes. And notice there's a difference between attending to them. Jesus there doesn't say run around naked and hungry. You need to attend to those needs, but you don't worry about them. Or as the hymn writer put it, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So the difference is really what, who is your God? What is your God? Too many people have other gods along with, they think, or alongside, around the true God. Those gods are their present comforts, their liberties they enjoy, the liberties they think they really need to continue to enjoy. Uh, those things that they are used to having become the objects of their affection instead of the Lord Jesus. Fact is, though, we can't escape this world. We're not supposed to. We're supposed to engage. We're supposed to seek for a change of culture according to God's guidelines. So presently, we do remain in the world. The key thing is we are not to be obsessed with it because we have the heavenly mindset. We realize heaven is our permanent home. We are travelers here. Uh, you might laugh at me, but I still remember the aha moment when I was a new Christian in my 20s. I was reading my Bible and probably from front to back, uh, when I got here and, and read these references about pilgrim, and then later got to Hebrews and read those, and it struck me, oh, pilgrims aren't just those guys around Thanksgiving time that have the, the stereotypical hats. Pilgrim actually means something, right? The pilgrims that came over from Europe as key founders of uh, Christian civilization on this continent shared these principles. They came here and it's actually 400 years ago on Wednesday. They landed off Cape Cod. Uh, they came here sharing the faith and the vision and that pilgrim mentality of people like Abraham, people like Jacob here. They wanted to see the planting of the gospel and to see it expand, a place where they could worship God according to their scriptures, where they could disciple their families to be kingdom keepers, not apostates. They saw themselves as pilgrims, just like the saints mentioned in Hebrews 11. So I was like, oh, that's what pilgrim means. Not just cardboard cutouts at Thanksgiving. Well, next uh, word here, key word, other than pilgrim, is few. What does Jacob mean by few? He says the days of his pilgrimage were few. Uh, this is properly understood, I believe, uh, comparatively in two ways. Jesus compared his early earthly lifespan to both his ancestors, so his forefathers, 
those previous generations before him, but also compared to eternity. Uh, this is a declaration of hope by Jacob that this life is not all there is. Greater things, far greater things, are yet to come. Indeed, the Lord has put eternity in the hearts of men so that we all know that this life is not all there is. Of course, in unrighteousness, uh, the wickedness suppressed that knowledge, and that gets suppressed or attempted suppression in a variety of ways. Uh, one way is to deny it altogether and uh, to think that when we die, we're done. You know, the naturalist will say we just rot in the ground. Uh, the spiritualist would say our souls sleep or other versions of things like that. Uh, another way to deny the truth of eternity is to corrupt the afterlife into some lustful or militaristic paradise such as the Egyptians did and their thoughts of the afterlife or as present-day Muslims or Mormons do. But deep down, we all know that there's more to life than this present travail. Here Jacob bears witness to this hope, to this evidence of his faith that more is to come. So as long as his life could be, it's still few in comparison to the future. <clears throat> Few days presently, yet more to come. Much, much more. Indeed, eternity in God's presence. And that more, the more, 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 infinitely more, relative to the few, leads to our next term here, evil. Because the more is going to be good, perfect, in contrast with the present evil that uh, Jacob refers to. Uh, the evil spoken of here is not moral evil, uh, as in the sins or, uh, of him or of others being rampant every day and, and just the, the grief of soul uh, that might have come from that, but rather, as it uh, somewhat frequently does in the Old Testament, it means that his days have been full of trouble, of difficulty. It's kind of uh, worn on him uh, in a certain sense. And this is a frank, uh, and I believe an honest assessment Jacob doesn't feel obligated to paint a rosy picture uh, to try and convince Pharaoh, oh, everything's going great, I'm so glad I left my home, and yeah, you know, God promised me that land. Yeah, it's no big deal. I'm down here as long as I need to be. No, he doesn't have to make up this fake story. Uh, he doesn't have to try and convince Pharaoh, yeah, Pharaoh king, you give your heart to Jesus and everything's going to be butterflies and roses. You know, he doesn't have to paint that fake smile on his face. It would be dishonest. Jacob is truthful here. It uh, doesn't mean he's negative. It uh, doesn't mean he's bitter or critical of God's dealings with him. He's honest, straightforward. And having said the plain truth that life is hard, that there are difficulties, he can affirm his hope for the future. As the apostles Paul said to the Corinthians, uh, speak here from chapter 15, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. So he can be honest about present life being difficult, he can say, I'm pressing on, I'm embracing God's providence, yet I'm looking forward to the future when there will be no evil, whether of the moral kind or of the trouble kind. Uh, I just see this as a vastly overlooked area of Christian thought and life. Honesty with hope is very powerful. Uh, it's really the essence of the gospel. If a person is not honest about their death and sin, uh, their daily offense against a holy God, then they will not see the need to repent and trust in the Christ who saves, the Christ who pays the debt and gives his perfect righteousness. Uh, honesty and hope helps us navigate various trials in our individual sanctification. It brings us back daily to confession and confidence that Jesus is continuing to do the good work in us. Uh, honesty about the, the pro 
present evil, uh, troublesome days paired with hope for the future, keeps us from despairing about larger social upheaval in whatever generation we're in. And uh, I really didn't want to get into a little political commentary here. So simply to say, I'm sad that Biden won the election. I'm glad that Trump lost. This was an evil day, an evil election in which we just lived. Yet I'm hopeful that in my lifetime, there will be presidential candidates. Wouldn't it be great to have five options of men who fulfill all 20 principles expounded for us last Lord's Day? I look forward to that. I have hope that that will happen in my life, if not in my children's or grandchildren's. Sadly, that wasn't an opportunity that we had this year. So all that to say, uh, the present days are evil, perhaps in different ways, perhaps in remarkably similar ways than Jacob had. But we know that a better future is ahead. That was a key part of Jacob's testimony before this pagan king. And the last part, the last clause I want to draw our attention to before some applications, the last part of Jacob's testimony, as it's recorded for us, are the words, not attained to my fathers. Uh, the word used here, attain, speaks of uh, reaching you know, what's out there. It's an acknowledgement that you're not there yet. You're still looking for something else. You're headed in a direction to get something you don't presently have. You want to get there. You want to obtain it. You want to overtake the goal. The plain fact is that while old by Egyptian standards, he's young by the standards of his forefathers. He hadn't reached to the age of Abraham, 175 when he died, or Isaac, I believe it was 180. Uh, I do think that Jacob is here simply speaking of the comparative length of his life as being shorter, just do the math, count the days, shorter than his forefathers. Uh, his choice of words indicates uh, what I might call an aspirational view of age, which is to say that he'd like to live longer. Again, I say to attain is to go forward to something you don't yet have. So he wanted, he desired to live as long or, you know, theoretically speaking, even longer than those immediate forefathers. He aspires to be like those who went before him. And I believe so many old people today behave like they're running out the clock. They're just trying to spend time before they get on to something more interesting uh, because they're bored with the present. And really, a lot of young people, working age people, try to run out the clock each work week. You know, we're just looking forward to Friday. What am I going to do Saturday? You know, let's go fishing because that's the important thing. You know, that's not a, a dominion uh, attitude. That's not a enjoying the work that God has given you, making use of every day. Uh, pining for something else is different than seeking to attain a good and honest goal. Every day is an opportunity. Every year is a blessing. A long life well lived is honestly full of challenges. It's full of victories, full of great growth and grace, gained wisdom, and Lord willing, encouragement imparted. So really Jacob is saying, give me more. I'm not done yet. I want more of what God will lead me to. Well, to conclude, and I'll warn you, it's a longer than a short conclusion, let's step back uh, and consider Jacob's answer as a whole. Uh, I began by saying that to some degree, Jacob's walk and words, remember two parts here, his walk and his words, are a witness to the life-saving mission that is the primary calling of the people of God. I say to some degree, so I'm kind of hedging my bets there, uh, not meaning to obfuscate, but just saying there's a gray area here. So I say to some degree, <clears throat> it is a witness to the life-saving mission that all of God's people are called to, because Jacob is not, and let's be again, honest here, 
obviously pointing the Pharaoh to the Lord. And we can ask ourselves, why didn't Jacob stand up, go into the king's court? Like, he's invited. He's got his son as like the right-hand man. What greater opportunity do you need to have? What better invitation to come in and confront the idolatry of Egypt, uh, to preach repentance in the face of God's impending judgment? I mean, Pharaoh's already on board with the fact that a catastrophic famine is coming. You don't need to convince him of this. And so it seems that this might be a great opportunity to be a, you know, a little more confrontational. Fact is, Jacob was not a sort of fire and brimstone evangelist. Uh, and I think that can be attributed to a number of factors, uh, the time, the place, his calling, his discernment of the situation. Uh, it's certainly not that nobody in uh, Old Testament times did that. Noah before him was a preacher of righteousness, confronting his generation for their evil and coming judgment, calling them to repentance. Uh, numerous prophets after him, we can make a long list, Daniel, Ezekiel, and others did the same in their day. And they, there's plenty of evidence for confronting non-Israelites, going to pagan kings, and delivering that same message. Think of Jonah. We, though, do, and so here we can draw a difference, maybe, and one point I'm making increases our burden, because we live now in an age of greater, expansive kingdom development, with the gospel clearly going to the nations. And so we do have the responsibility and the opportunity to be more explicit. And as you reflect on this passage, whether individually or with your families today and the days to come, I encourage you to spend some time reflecting on Jacob's answer and write out, how would you answer it today? I don't mean exactly literally. So start by adapting the question. I don't think many people are going to be asking any of us this week, how old are you? You know, it really stands out. What's going on here? So you got to modify the question to your circumstances and then think of the answer, range of answer. Remember what I said earlier, Jacob was asked that particular question because he probably looked unusually old. There was something about him that elicited that question from the observers. So what stands out about you? Uh, is it your cheerful attitude, uh, your modest clothes, uh, your attentive ear when your neighbor, coworker shares a problem they're facing? Uh, is it your restrained tongue when gossip starts flying around the lunch table or the, the water cooler, so to speak? Uh, is it your wise insights as you comment on the troubles of the day from a, a thoroughly biblical perspective? Right? Those, Lord willing, are the things that our neighbors are going to see. And they're going to come and say, I really noticed this. What's different about you? Where does this come from? Share what is going on. And a little slight rabbit trail, but to expand on this, because I believe that this is in itself an important point of reflection for each of us as we meditate on this passage. Do people out there see differences? Right? Let's be honest. How much, other than the fact that we're here from uh, 9 to noon on Sunday, how different do we look out in the world? Um, I don't know. Do we drive? It doesn't really matter what car you drive, but you drive the same cars, wear the same clothes, talk the same language, consume the same media, right? Are there that many differences? And I'm guessing there probably are, so I'm not saying there aren't. Um, and those are good differences. We don't want to be offensive in our differences just to poke the tiger, uh, but to ask ourselves, what are the differences? And are they good and godly differences that draw a distinction between worldliness and godliness? To ask ourselves, what am I doing that catches the eye of my unbelieving neighbors? might stir up a question from them. And if the answer, when we do that self-assessment, is 
nothing. You know, I, I guess I do dress like everybody else. Uh, I guess my conversation habits are, you know, kind of similar to others. Or maybe the answer is, yeah, they see some differences, and it's those annoying habits that I need to work on, right, <laughs> that don't point to Christ. So those can be two bad answers, and the good answer is, you know, I, I do have some, some sanctification that people notice and uh, that I have opportunity to to explain and to point to Christ on, because we want to be salt and light. Salt and light are only effective when there's blandness and darkness, right? There has to be a contrast. We don't want to be dark. We don't want to be bland. We want to be light. We want to be salt so that our neighbors get a glimpse and a taste of Christ and ask for more. That's really what we want. Conversation starters. It's my key tip to some folks that I've had opportunity to go with on street evangelism. We're just trying to start a conversation. Right? And I was going to make a joke about sticking out your foot to trip somebody. No, we don't want to stumbling uh, people to start a conversation. Uh, we want to hand them a piece of paper. We want to ask them a question. We want to have a sign. We want to have some piece of clothing, a hat, whatever it is, so that we start a conversation. Because it's words of eternal life that saves, right? People embracing the words of eternal life that we can share from Scripture. So with that self-assessment um, Slight rabbit trail, back to my previous point, what Christianness stands out about you? And think through what questions you might be asked. Uh, think through the answers that you can give. When somebody says, wow, you've got a lot of blonde hair, blue-eyed children, you know, say, yeah, my favorite color is blue. Yeah, that, that's truthful, but does that really get things going to get to Christ? You know, Jesus had blue eyes? Yep, here mine do too. No, that's, that's not what we're trying to do. Just slip in the, the name J-E-S-U-S. Um, so think, uh, what gospel-oriented conversation starter can we lead things through? Uh, when I'm out at a job site and have one of my children with me, I'm expecting, because like 99% of the time, people say, oh, is that your son? I'm like, no, I just got him you know, down at Menards and got him in my truck you know, or my van. No. Um, so I have a range of answers uh, prepared to express gratitude to God for having given me these precious children. Uh, thankfulness to the Lord for my dear wife who pours out her life day in and day out at home to nurture them. Uh, confession of my utter dependence upon the mercies of God and that he must give them new life in Jesus. Right? Those are the things I work through in my mind. When there's an opportunity, when a person asks that question, this is what I want to share with them. So what people, what will people see in you that is different? What might they ask you and what might you say to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ? So friends, ask the Lord to make you a salty and light-filled person. Be ready for those opportunities to explain your hope in Christ. Pray for them. Think through them. And grow in faith that the Lord will do a good work through you. As we have this privilege, this really joy to be a blessing to the nations. Because, to summarize, both in our walk and our words, we are engaged in a life-saving mission. Amen? Father in heaven, we are humbled by uh, your work in uh, a flawed man like Jacob and an imperfect family uh, such as his. And uh, we uh, can delight in the goodness of the light of your gospel that uh, shows us weaknesses our own, especially, and uh, draws us to the opportunity to improve on those weaknesses, to be strengthened by grace as your Holy Spirit works in us. And I pray that as we 
ponder, reflect upon, meditate on this passage uh, today and in days to come, you would uh, convict us of areas where we are too much like the world, that you would strengthen us in uh, godly differences that we can cultivate in our lives, and that you would sovereignly bring into our path opportunities. Jacob had an incredible opportunity uh, to point to the eternal hope, to express gratitude for his long life, and may we do the same in whatever variety of ways you can conceive, because your ways are higher and so far beyond ours. Pray this for your people. In Jesus' name, amen.